Well, if you would this morning, let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Just by way of review, if you'll remember that the theme of Galatians is our liberty in Christ. And the the theme verse is found in chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And we've seen that Paul is passionately writing to these Galatian believers, these churches in Galatia, because they have allowed false teachers, these Judaizers, to come in. And they have added works to grace uh, for salvation. These, they were telling these Gentile converts that, you know, yeah, you can, you can be saved through Christ, but you have to come to Christ through us. And I've said how dangerous and cultic that is. Um, I, I, I talked to couple of Mormons this week, one of them very dedicated, one of them used to be a bishop, and he's retired now, and uh, we had that very discussion, and uh, I asked him, I said, so can I as a Christian and not a Mormon, can I get to heaven and be with God for eternity without Mormonism, without the priesthood, without the church, without the sacraments, without the temple? completely skirted around the question because the answer is no. I just make it simple for them. The answer is no. And they know that. And why they just can't be honest about that, I, don't, I have no problem saying that they can't get to heaven without Christ. Why not just say you can't get to, get to the third level of heaven without us? That's exactly your whole reason for existing. And so uh, it's a great example of a modern day uh, Judaizer. Uh, but, but Paul doesn't even take the time to really give this church much of a salutation. He's ready to defend the gospel. He begins the book by defending the true gospel, and that's salvation by grace through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 3, we've noted that it may be beneficial to see this symbolically, of course, as somewhat of a courtroom scene where the gospel of grace is on trial, Justification by faith is on trial, and Paul is acting as a defense attorney, and he is calling witnesses to the stand by, one by one. The first one he called to the stand uh, was the Spirit, and he asked the Galatians, were you saved through the Spirit? Were you made perfect by the Spirit? Now you're, you're made perfect by the keeping of the law? That doesn't make any sense. Well, then he calls the law to the stand. He says, okay, Judaizers, you want to say that salvation's by the law. Let's call the law to the stand and do some cross-examination. And what he showed is that not only is salvation not by the keeping of the law, it's never been by the keeping of the law. And he specifically brought up Abraham and how he was saved uh, by faith in the gospel, the coming Christ. And that was hundreds of years prior to the giving of the law. And so how could salvation be by the law when people were saved by faith before the law? And so then we dealt last week with the, Abraham, the witness of the Abrahamic covenant. And Paul is, is, he's obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's a really smart guy. 
And he's been in their shoes. He was one of the Judaizers at one time, except he didn't believe in faith in Christ at all. And uh, he believed in salvation by the keeping of the law. So he knows what they're thinking. And he knows that their next logical argument is, okay, Paul, we'll grant that salvation was by faith prior to the giving of the law, but the mere fact that the law was given proves that God has changed his mind, and now salvation is by the law. And this is when Paul goes back to the Abrahamic covenant to prove them wrong. And we, we looked at that last week. We got into it halfway, and I, I just had way too much to, to get it in last week. I wished I had... I'm going to do a lot of review today to make sure that we can connect the dots by the time we're done this morning. Probably the last sermon I'll preach on the Abrahamic covenant. But let's just go ahead and reread our text from last week. Um, Paul, uh, Paul's argument here in Galatians 3, beginning in verse 15. He says, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. In other words, I'm about to give you a human example. Abraham, of course. He said, Though it be but a man's covenant... Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law... It is no more promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law, it was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, I know that many have come uh, in different parts of their journey. Lord, there might be some lost here. I don't know. But God, if there is, I pray you'd save them and bring them to, to a saving knowledge and faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that there's several burdens represented here today. And I pray that you would just help us and encourage us with your word, that, Lord, no matter what happens, that we could be assured of your love for us, God, of our salvation in Christ, and our promise that one day uh, we will spend eternity with you and we'll never experience these heartaches again. Uh, Lord, I pray that you just empty me of sin and self and fill me your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name I pray you, saints. Amen. So we're looking at the witness of the Abrahamic covenant. This is part two of that uh, mini-series. I'll, I'll try to keep it mini. <laughs> uh, but um, Paul, his argument again is that if, if salvation is by the promise of God and by the covenant that God made with Abraham, then Moses can't come along and cancel it. The law does not cancel the promise. It complements the promise. And we're going to see that in detail this morning. Before we go back to Genesis and begin to walk our way through this, like I said, if, if Paul is going to make um, argument from the Abrahamic covenant, we need to understand the Abrahamic covenant to feel the weight of his argument. It's one of the best that he probably has, in my opinion. Um, but before we go back to Genesis, I want you to look at Galatians 3 and verse 29 because it's really going to carry over into what we're going to see today. Galatians 3 and verse 29, he closes this section by saying, And if you be Christ... Then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see that? 
He said, if you're saved, if you're a child of God, a child of faith, then you are a child of Abraham. It's so important to get this. So let's go back to Genesis 3 just by way of review and then we'll go straight to the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 3. Now, Genesis 3 is the saddest and happiest chapter in the whole Bible because here we see the fall. We see Adam and Eve's disobedience and we see all of the death and the negativity and the punishment and the heartache that comes from that and the shame. But in that same chapter, we see God slay an animal of some kind. I would assume it would be a lamb. That's what I think. And He clothes them in the skins of that animal. And what a picture of salvation. The imputed righteousness of Christ. And then in Genesis 3 and verse 15, He he clarifies what He's doing. Uh, This is the first mention of the gospel in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, just a few verses after the fall. And God says this to Satan. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Uh, This is a prophecy of several things here. It's a prophecy of a Savior, a Messiah. It's a a prophecy of the cross because... um, Satan on the cross bruised the heel of Christ. He was bruised and broken. But by that same cross, he crushed the head of the serpent and defeated Satan. It's also a prophecy of the virgin birth because biologically speaking, the woman doesn't have seed. And the seed, that's the offspring here that's mentioned, is Jesus Christ. The ultimate fulfillment of that promise, the seed, is Jesus Christ. But within that... It's the promise of, through that seed, a salvation of a people. As I mentioned, when we look at salvation, just like when we look at the Trinity, we have to recognize the paradox. The Trinity is one God, and yet He's three distinct persons. I can't connect that logically, but I preach both of them because they're both clearly taught in Scripture. When it comes to salvation on one side, you have the responsibility and the opportunity of all, of every man, of every woman, to repent and believe the gospel. Uh, We understand that. But from God's perspective, salvation has always been a foolproof plan by which He actually saves sinners. God does not just make sinners savable, He saves sinners. And what we see from Genesis 3 all the way to the end in Revelation is a history of redemption. God is saving sinners. And we talked about the implications of that and how we can't possibly understand all that. And just like with the Trinity, I don't go to bed at night and worry about that. I just leave it up to God. When it comes to the sovereignty of God and salvation versus the man's responsibility and opportunity, I don't don't go to bed at night and lose sleep over the fact I can't figure it out. I just understand that all men everywhere are commanded to repent and believe the gospel invitation and command go out to all, and yet God is sovereign, absolutely sovereign in the salvation of sinners. I can't connect those two, but I'm not going to cut them out either. A lot of people get, you know, try to cut them out and get uncomfortable with that, but it's in the Bible. I'm going to preach it to you. And so uh, God promises Satan that among this depraved, fallen humanity now, this wicked humanity, that even in that depraved humanity, 
He is going to save, guaranteed to save sinners. What a great promise. And if you're saved today, it's because God saved you. Make no mistake about that. There's no, we, we can't boast in anything. And so what we see is, even at the very beginning, we see this line. We see the seed of the woman, God's seed, and we see the seed of the serpent. We see it in Cain and Abel. We, we have a clear distinction between those two, do we not? We see this line carried on through uh, Seth, the godly line of Seth, and the wicked line of Cain. And in Genesis 6, we saw where those two lines become construed. They become blurred, and that's when the whole world is wicked before God and He judges the world, but He continues the promise through Noah. Without Noah, we wouldn't be here. And without Noah, Jesus would have never come. And so God was not going to allow His judgment to override His promise. The seed continued through Noah. But then uh, again, the seed becomes blurred in Genesis 11 in the Tower of Babel and the world comes together to build this temple to try to uh, exalt themselves above God. And, but even in the midst of all this confusion, God calls a man by the name of Abraham. And this is where we really get into the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, it starts in chapter 12. For the sake of time, I won't go through that because I really want to hone in on chapter 15. And here's what I want you to understand about the covenants. I believe this will really help us when we think about the covenants. There's a, there's a lot of confusion uh, about the covenants in the sense of, you know, some have called them dispensations where God saved people in different ways uh, throughout the, you know, different periods of time. That's just not true. It's not true. And some have even confused the covenants. This is what the Judaizers were doing. They were, they were pitting the Mosaic covenant, the covenant of law, against the Abrahamic covenant or the covenant of grace. They don't pit against each other. They perfectly complement one another. And if you understand this about the covenants, I believe it will clear up a lot of confusion. But if you think about the first promise, basically the first covenant in Genesis 3, about how God would save a people and separate them from the, from the seed of Satan. If you think about every single covenant and promise after that, is just a clarification and a reaffirmation of that first promise. Um, think about it like this. If I, if I promise Derek, Derek, I know y'all been really busy lately. I'm, I'm going to come cut your grass or, or mow your lawn, excuse me. I'm come mow your lawn for you. And you walked outside and I had the edger and I was going down the sidewalk and the driveway and you came out there and you said, what are you doing? I thought you said you were going to mow my lawn. And I'm looking at you like, yeah, you know, kind of what I'm doing here. Or if I, was, if I had the weed eater and I was, you wouldn't come out there and say, hey, I thought you were going to mow my lawn, you know. All of those things are a part of mowing the lawn. And every covenant after that promise given in Genesis 3 is a part of that promise. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's not pitting against itself. It's, it's reaffirming and clarifying what was already said. You're going to see this here in a minute. But let's, let's look at the Abrahamic covenant. Since Paul is using the Abrahamic covenant as an argument, we need to understand the Abrahamic covenant. So let's read. I'm going to read all of Genesis 15. We're going to be in here for the vast majority of the message this morning. But it says in uh, Genesis 15 and verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? 
And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given me no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven. Now listen, I would really underline this phrase in verse 5. This is so important to what we're talking about. It says, He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. This is the gospel message that was given to Abram. He believed it. God accounted it to him for righteousness. Same gospel that we preach today. Same salvation. And verse 7, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and shall be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass, that this is really important, it came to pass that when the sun went down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Talking about the pieces of the animal, the severed animals. And in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kadamites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Gilgashites and the Jebusites. So this is the clearest account, although there are, you know, you can go Genesis 12 or 17 or, or, or 21, it's reiterated, but this is the clearest example of what actually takes place. And so let me, let me just paint you a picture here. Um, God tells Abram, and he lists several specific animals here, ram, turtle dove, pitch, several animals. He said, I want you to cut these animals in half. And he said, I want you to separate the pieces, that there'll be a walkway between the pieces of that animal. Now, that may sound strange to us, but Abram, he didn't question anything. He just did it. And the reason is because Abram understood what this meant. And in this day, in this time period, it was a very common thing for kings and vassals to do uh, what is called cutting a covenant. And there, there was two types of covenants. There was uh, covenants of condition, and there was covenants of promise. And a, a covenant of condition, what they would do if, if a king and a, one of his vassal servants or princes, they would come to an agreement uh, about the way they wanted to run the kingdom. Uh, they would agree to, you know, what kind of protection the king would give the vassal, 
what kind of taxes the vassal would pay to the king. And so they came up to the terms of an agreement. They would sever these animals. And as those animals bled out, the blood would fill the walkway between the pieces. And the king and the vassal, they would join arms and they would walk through those severed pieces. And what they were saying when they walked through the blood of those animals, they were saying, if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain or my end of the covenant, let me become as one of these bloody severed animals. It was a very serious thing. I mean, they were literally making a blood covenant, if you will, on their own life. They were promising on their own life. That was condition of covenant, uh, uh, a conditional covenant or a covenant of condition. But then there was a covenant, a promise in which the king could make promises to his vassals, to his servants, that he would fulfill by himself. He would fulfill all of the obligations of the covenant. And in that case... He would walk through the pieces by himself. He would walk through the blood of those animals. And he would say, if I don't fulfill all the obligations and promises of this covenant, let me become as one of these bloody, severed animals. And so God tells Abram to sever these animals. He makes all these promises. And this is what you have to understand about the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. A few promises he makes here. And we're going to, you could see this over and over and over in both Testaments. But he promises a Savior, the seed, through the line of Abraham. That's Christ. He came. Uh, but there's also a promised success of that Savior. Um, did you know, and this is a great study to, to look at in your own time, did you know that in several places, I mean countless places, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God the Father promised Jesus that his sacrifice would be successful. Not left up to chance, not fingers crossed, not just hoping that these wicked sinners are going to do the right thing. No, success in the cross. I think about Isaiah 53, 11. He shall see the seed of the terrell of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Uh, you see this over and over and over. It was, ne- it was never left up to chance. There was no chance involved. And so uh, God promised His Son success. But, but also, within this Abrahamic covenant, uh, the Lord promised Abram that his seed would number as the stars of heaven. That is the results of the success of Christ. And so, isn't it interesting... Now, now see, here's, this is what is so amazing about the Bible. It's just such a living book. Now, if we did not have the New Testament to clarify this, then we would never understand and recognize what I'm about to say. And during the course of the entire Old Testament, and even the Jews now, because they're blind to this, they thought this covenant was purely an ethnic promise, that God was going to give Abram a a physical nation on the earth, an ethnic seed, and that this this promised seed was strictly limited to the Jews. But we find out in the New Testament, especially like Romans 4 and Galatians, what we've read this morning, um, it tells us that no, it has a much greater meaning. It's not just talking about an ethnic seed. It's talking about a spiritual heavenly seed. The promise is to the saved of every generation. This numberless seed that numbers as the stars of heaven is the saved from every generation. All those that, like Abraham, 
would come to salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And if you're saved today, you're in this number. You're in this covenant. You are the spiritual seed of Abraham. We just read it in black and white in Galatians 3. This is what he's talking about. This is talking about the salvation of all who would ever be saved by grace through faith. What a promise. (laughs) What a salvation. Now, this is where the, the severed pieces get really important. Remember, I told you that if it was a covenant of condition, the king and the vassal would come to terms. They would walk through the severed animals together. But God shows up in verse 17, and let's see who walks through this. Verse 17, it came to pass when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. God appears as the symbols of judgment. And God walks through the pieces by himself. (laughs) He didn't say, come on, Abram, join arms. Let's do this together. And in fact, when I talked to the Mormon this week, the ex-bishop who is actually working at the temple now, he told me out of his own mouth that God does things in a circle and that he has brought the Mormons back to the old covenant. They're going back to the law, back to the temple, back to the priesthood, back to all this. And that is about the most anti-Christian thing I can think of. I told him about the book of Hebrews and he said, well, that just seems all strange to me. And I'm like, well, it didn't seem strange to God because he put it in there. But, But here's what he said. He said, in the Old Testament, men entered into a covenant with God. Men entered into a promise with God. And I said, no, no, no. I said, God entered into a promise with man. God entered into a covenant with man. And I told him the exact same thing I'm telling you, that God walked, when he promised salvation to his people, he walked through those pieces by himself. And he looked at me as confused as a termite in a yo-yo. But you can find, and I'll translate for y'all after, you, you know, you can help with that, but... But don't you see that salvation has always been by grace through faith? It has never been through the keeping of the law. The law does not annul this. Listen, we're going to get into this next week about the purpose of the law. But the law does not provide an opportunity for men and women to save themselves. The law is raised as a Mount Everest that we're supposed to look at and say, I could never achieve that. I need a Savior. And then Jesus comes along and says, here I am. That's the purpose of the law. It was never to give an opportunity for us to save ourselves. It was to show us that we can't save ourselves. Only somebody who is just being totally intellectually dishonest would come to the conclusion that they could fulfill the just demands of God's law. I asked this particular bishop, I said, said, tell me how I can achieve salvation or exaltation or whatever you want to call it. How do I... How can I be right with God? And, of course, he went through all this spill, but then he made the statement, you need to keep the commandments of God. And I looked at him and I said, I said, how are you doing with that? He said, have you kept the commandments of God? He goes, well, no. And I said, well, you're in trouble. You're telling me to keep the commandments of God, and you can't even keep them. The law was never meant to say, here, here's the finish line. You can do it. It was to show us we can't do it. We've all lied. We've all sinned against God. We've all put other gods before God. We've all taken God's name in vain in some way, some shape, fashion, form of our life. We've probably all stolen something. 
We're not right with God. That's why Christ had to come. And that's the whole argument that Paul is making, that salvation has always been by promise. And the promise is this, as deep as I've gone with some of this stuff, the promise is this, that all who come to Christ by grace through faith will be saved. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent of your dead works and your self-righteousness and your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because He's the only sufficient sacrifice for our sin. He is the only satisfactory sacrifice to God. That's it. Nothing else. That's the whole point that Paul is making here. And let's go to... I told you last week that I was going to start in Genesis and end up in Revelation. I just didn't tell you I wasn't going to hit every book between those two. <laughs> Let's go to Revelation chapter 5. And we actually studied this <clears throat> a few weeks ago in our Revelation study. But in Genesis 3, God makes the promise to Satan that among this depraved, wicked humanity that he was going to save sinners, that he was going to preserve a seed, that through that seed... Uh, Jesus Christ would come. And by the way, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to Abraham. And because we're heirs of Abraham, we're spiritual children of Abraham, all the promises were fulfilled to us as well. Isn't that amazing? And, and by the way, another reason we know that this promise is not just talking about an ethnic seed to an ethnic people is because God was very specific about the land and the promises and everything that he was supposed to get. And not only did Abraham never get those things, none of his descendants did either. They, they didn't ever get all that land. Even today, the nation of Israel is just a fraction of what God promised. Well, when is that promise going to be fulfilled? It's going to be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. And we're going to get to be a part of it. Because we're the ethnic seed of Abraham. I mean, isn't that amazing how all that fits together? But we see throughout... The Bible, the, the history of redemption, God saving sinners. And what is the ultimate goal? What is the, what is the end result of all of these kept promises of God? Well, we, we see it very, very clearly here at the end in Revelation uh, chapter 5. Let's, uh, let's read beginning verse 8. It says, And when he had taken the book, talking about Christ... The four beasts and four and twenty elders, which is representative of the church, that's us, fell down and worshipped before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, that sweet smells and not bad smells, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and listen to this, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. In the beginning, God promised a people, the salvation of a people. He reiterated that in Abraham, and he said, In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And the end result is a saved, redeemed people out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. I believe God keeps His promises, don't you? And I'm glad about that. And, and the simple promise again this morning is that you can be saved from your sin. You can be a, a part of the promise. You can be 
in Christ. You can be forgiven of your sin. You can be made right with God. You can know that you have a home in heaven when you die. You can be free from the burden and bondage and penalty and power of your sin if you would just repent and believe the gospel. That's your part. We've seen God's part. And so salvation has always been by the promise of God and never by the keeping of the law. These Judaizers have lost their minds. And we're going to see the purpose of the law next week. But I I just want to ask you this morning, number one, are you saved? And number two, are you enjoying it? I mean, do you really have the peace of God that passes all understanding? Do you really um, have that right relationship with God? Do you know that you've been cleaned from your sin? Are you still a, a victim and a slave to guilt? You don't have to be. You don't have to be today. You can walk out of here free and forgiven of your sin. Salvation by grace through faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's a good promise. And he promised it to all who call upon the Lord in repentance and faith. Would you stand this morning as she comes?